a lot of it really is about being able to manage their body weight. Um, so you think about strength and everybody thinks about barbells and lifting weights and strength for a, a 13 year old is, is push-ups, is TRX rows, is really single leg squatting. It is, you know, that's strength. Um, and so we want players to be able to develop in a, a quite a generic way, but then also have individual programs that can hit the bullseye for, for what, where they are in their development. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. After speaking with Matt a few weeks ago for the Developing Youth Football Mastermind alongside Jack Aid from Liverpool and Perry Stewart from Arsenal, which I would definitely recommend by the way, it was an absolute no-brainer to get Matt on the podcast to dive into some of the things that he spoke about in the Mastermind, which was speed training for youth athletes, for youth footballers, and also um, making the most of warm-ups to periodization to how his program at, at Tottenham Hotspur differs across age groups and what, when they prioritise certain things, when they don't prioritise certain things, which things kick in around maturation, which things don't. So loads and there was loads and loads of things to uh, to cover in this episode based on the, the mastermind that Matt was involved in a couple of weeks ago. But it's a superb episode. Even if you don't work with youth athletes or youth footballers, there's so much to take away around the way Matt thinks, around his story, how he got to where he is now. So even if you are trying to get into strength and conditioning, there's lots of lots of lessons there for you as well. So I'm sure you'll love this episode. And thanks for joining myself and Matt for this Pacey Performance Podcast. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimise return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. 
If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website, iMeasureU.com, or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Matt Allen. Matt, I know it's only a couple of weeks since you came on the Mastermind, but thank you for popping on and uh, having a chat for the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you, mate. I know we, I don't think we did an intro. I think I've been the intros on the Mastermind because we're on a bit of a a bit of a tight schedule. But I think people will be interested to hear a little bit about your story and the last ten years at Spurs, what you did before then, and yeah, current role, what's going on. Okay, great. So yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Rob. Um, again. Uh, so going right back to the start, I guess I was at Norwich City for a couple of years. Um, this is when I was like 10, 11, 12. Uh, they got rid of me. Weren't good enough, apparently. Uh, well, unfortunately, what position did you play? What position did you play? I was a right mid, so I was a seven, yeah. Okay, nice. And uh, yeah, evidently not not good enough to, to cut, the, cut the muscle on that one. But um, I was growing up, I was a golfer. And so I got down to an, uh, a low handicap, uh, tried to make it on, you know, try to make a career out of it. Got to 16, 17, realized I probably wasn't cutting that one either, um, even though I got quite good at it. But uh, so then I thought, right, so what's the backup? The backup is working the sport that I love, the, that I grew up watching. Uh, so, yeah, I thought, right, I, I want to get in football or, or at least a, uh, into working elite sport if I can't be um, practicing in it, you know, as, as an athlete or a player. So went to uni, uh, to Nottingham Trent Uni, did a sports science degree there. Uh, really good three years on a number of levels, of course, same as every student that's, um, that's gone through. Uh, decided to stand for a master's and did a, a, a master's in sports science. While I was doing that, uh, I was really, really fortunate enough to get an internship with Ryland Morgans at, uh, at Forest. Uh, so yeah, I was a sports science intern there for 10 months or so. Uh, he was he was brilliant with me. I learned so much from him, uh, especially, well, obviously it was, you know, applying sports science and, and, and transferring it into football, but he he ensured that he backed up every step of the way, kind of how things linked. Uh, everything I was learning at uni, conversations I was having with him and saying, right, that would link to this and this is what we're doing here because of this. So Ryland was excellent with me. Um, so yeah, I, I had a really good, what would that be, a 10, 11 months um, mixing my my applied work with, with what I had at, um, at, at uni doing my, doing my MRes. Um, I then, after that, went, to, uh, went back home uh, to Norfolk, where I'm originally from. Uh, same as everybody, completely skint, can't afford to, to live anymore outside of home. So I went home to, to mum and dad and uh, managed to get in contact with David Cosford. So I was looking to do my basis accreditation and um, and contacted him because I saw he was accredited. And he, uh, he said uh, that he wouldn't be able to be my um, supervisor for it. But uh, he would be able to offer me some experience. And so he'd literally just opened up an S&C facility with Nigel Thompson. Um, and this is in Norwich called Elite Strength and Conditioning. And it's, it's a center that kind of attracted people from all different areas, uh, from all uh, different sports. I think I ended up working with, I counted up at one point, 18 different sports uh, in the 18 months I was there, 18, 19 months I was there. Um, while I was there, I managed to get loads of experience at... 
English Golf Union through obvious contacts that I had. Um, Went to Man U uh, with with Tony Strudwick. It was literally the week that uh, that Robin Thorpe started was when I when I went for from experience for for a week there, which is great. So I spent a, a week with with Rob as an intern um, when he was an intern there. Went for some experience. Um, then where else did I go? I went to English Golf. Uh, sorry, the uh, English Institute of Sport in Sheffield in Cambridge. So I tried to just basically dot myself around the sport, uh, loads of different sports really. I know I always wanted to ideally come back to football. Um, growing up, and I'm a I'm a Norwich fan, uh, so football is a loose term, uh, but uh, it's it's definitely I def- definitely did watch a ball being kicked growing up, and uh, so I knew I wanted to come back and work in uh, work in football, but also possibly golf. So I thought, but I'll I'll target those two. But anything else else I can get across different sports and great because it will complement obviously the work that I'm doing at the centre at the time as well as uh, as well as you know my ultimate goal of what, what to get into so uh, that was in 2008 2009 uh, I guess that that's from an applied side uh, from a from a um, a qualification side I, I really wanted to stand out from other people uh, so I made sure I got my UKSA accreditation. I got my NSCA certification. I got all these different badges, I guess, and tried to get as many letters after my name as I could while I was uh, essentially kind of building experience to to apply myself in a full time role because uh, the, the work I was doing with elite strength and conditioning was was part time. Um, and yeah, and so so then I managed to uh, so to end up at, at Tottenham. So. Uh, I don't know if Jackie Jack A knows this. Um, obviously, I was on your mastermind with him a couple of weeks mm. ago. I don't even think I've discussed this with him before. But I went for the uh, the internship in 2009. He beat me to it. He, he, oh, really? He was, he was number one. Yeah, I okay. don't know if he knew that. I don't think I broke <laughs> that one to him, even when I went in the next year. But um, I started at Tottenham in, in, I think it was late December 2009, uh, early January 2010. Uh, Jack was then leaving. Um, so yeah, I managed to to get in. Sam Sam Erith works. So I worked with under Sam uh, for I, I guess it would probably have been about a year or so. So he was the one who got me in. Um, Nathan Gardner was there as well. Mm. Uh, so I worked with Nath well ever since then and until recently when he's gone to Fulham. Uh, so I've been around some some really good people in in sports science. I've been so lucky. Um, and so yeah, so I've been at Tottenham ever since really. So yeah, so I, I guess it's eleven years. Um, I have absolutely thrown myself into it every single year. I love it more every year. Um, I feel like I develop every year. I've the uh, kind of likening, I, I guess, sitting in now thinking about it that I could think about or, or liken it to. Sorry, would be kind of the Times Square shot when somebody stands still and all the traffic goes around them. And oh, I think yeah. I think I've kind of stood still, but uh, the. The, the scenery and everything and, and everything's kind of changed a little bit, you know, and, and the people that I work with and, and the building that we work in and all that has changed. And so when, when, when I first went there in 2010 until 2012, we were at uh, Spurs Lodge, unbelievable facility, um, you know, for, for functional for football. I say unbelievable, you know, what, we, what we're in now is unbelievable, that, but it was a functional place, the players... Um, the, the academy players all mixed with the first team players, you know, eight next to them. Um, you know, it, it was very intimate um, in, in at that training centre, and it was it was good for all all different kind of reasons for what it's good for now. Um, 
We then have moved into this unbelievable facility in 2012 that that we're now that we've been in ever since. Um, it's like Disney World of football <laughs> in 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 youth in youth development. I guess it can be a, a positive and a negative. Uh, I love having a choice of of uh, of salmon or steak for lunch. <laughs> and uh, I, the I love, food is so important. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I love listening to your podcast and you talk about Vald and things like that. I'm thinking, oh, tech, new technology. If I want to get it, pretty much, you know, if we put a good enough thing forward, we can get it. I mean, we're very spoilt. Uh, but so are the players. And so like, I think it's in a youth development sense. Um, we have to get them to understand that this isn't football. You know what I mean? And so the environment and the culture that we develop in that place um, has to back that up. That it's even though you may be in the building full time, it's only a small fraction of you that will go up to the other side and stick. And so we have to prepare you for the market as well as prepare you for um rubbing shoulders every every day with Harry Kane and etc. And so yeah, so it's it's um it, it's it's the fine details of that that I guess uh bring sports science and kind of change you into a player developer. And I think it's it's a there's a there are a lot of similarities to it of course because the science I bring to my to my work every day is is obviously the reason why I'm in the building and you know you don't get so, um somebody just come in and uh and run the place on common sense it has to have scientific rigor and everything behind everything we do um but uh to be a to be a player developer is is different and it's the subtleties around it that i think is the thing that really interests me and um and 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 has helped me kind of keep me developing as well as developing players but i've like i say i've been fortunate enough to been there for 10 11 years um people like skippy oliver skip Dane Scarlett, you know, Jaffat, Tanganga, like I've I've worked with these lads since they were knee high. And I think it's um it's a unique position for for somebody to have been in in a place for, for as long as I have in the same role to kind of oversee uh a gym program or, or a, a, a an on pitch session with Oliver Skip when he was nine years of nine nine and under nine, nine years of age, and then see him play for the first team and you know, and uh, and things like that is 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 brilliant. But it also means I can then kind of edit the programming we do and everything based on experience and not necessarily solely on on the the research that's out there. You know, um, which is a unique position. But uh, but that's me. That's that's the last fourteen or so, fifteen years. Um, and and yeah, that's Hope great. That I mean, there's, there's, so many que- there's so many questions off the back of that. And we've got we've got tons to uh, to dive into as well on the technical side. But that part-time that part-time role, I'm interested to have a little dig on that because that's something that I think people maybe don't necessarily consider when they're trying to bridge this gap between university, an internship, or university in a, in a full-time role, or even an internship in a full-time role. I think that's genuinely, if I was to go back again, that's what I'd look to do. Because you move back home, like you said, get a part-time job, but use the spare time to do all the things that, well, even when you're in a full-time role, you don't particularly have time to do. UKSA accreditation, basic accreditation, that just get left because you're in the day-to-day mist of of, of the, you know, the nine-to-five or nine-to-nine or whatever it yeah. is in, in someone like in your role. And it also gives you a chance to get out there, experience different sports, experience different people, go on visits, you know, spend a little bit of time with, Robin and, and Tony at Man United, that just wouldn't happen if you get thrown into a job. But there's this kind of clamour 
to get there as soon as possible. I know that's just life and people want to move move quick, but I think slowing that down does pay dividends in the long run. Like you've got to know the people that you've got to know because of the because it, you weren't thrust into Spurs straight away. You had that little bit of time in between where you could develop the relationships and just figure stuff out. Yeah, I think you've you've asked a question there, but also answered it as well. I think yeah. I think that that's exactly right. Um, I think when I came out of uni, I thought if I'm gonna, I need to find a way to separate myself from the rest. Um, it's a bottlenecked industry. Even then, it was, uh, and anything I could do that gives me an extra two percent or something that I could put in bold on my CV or a badge I could put in the top left hand corner that that draws somebody somebody's eye to something, then great you know i'm on board and i want to do it and i want to get it um i think i completely buy into what des ryan says about it being your driving license if you look work in the snc um even if you don't agree with all of the all of the the aspects of you know whatever exercises you know you you hear about or the conference presentations you see or the topics they discuss or whatever it is it that unfortunately, you, you know, you're in an industry where you've, you've got to buy into certain things. And, and I, I completely, you have to show that uh, you can come out uh, of uni, of course, understand all the textbooks and everything, but you also have to be able to deliver. And even if you don't do hand cleans or, or cleans or back squatting in your programming, you have to be able to coach something um, effectively that an athlete can then copy. And so, well, that's one part of it. Also, speed and agility. Well, I'm never going to work in basketball. I'm never going to work in badminton or whatever it is. It's like, well, the speed, agility, and and power section doesn't really apply to me. Well, it does because even if only all you're going to do is work in football, when you're stood there, you're like, ah, I've got that player. Didn't know I had that player. Or, oh, I've got that session in five minutes. Can you quickly do that? Or can you know? I mean, things change last minute, and you have to you have to think on your feet. And so, just because you might not uh, you might not work in basketball you might you know pull out of the hat whatever other sport the, but it's what it is it might be a, a session topic or it might be a player that has a certain um, deficiency or a player that the physio said he can't do x y or z you've got him in 5 minutes so you're like oh okay all right and, <laughs> and so you're planning you, you know and i think it's it's representative of that and so that's why i thought it was really really valuable for me was to work in somewhere, voluntarily, by the way, work in somewhere um, that work with all these different sports. But at any time, a person from BMX comes in the door and says, I want to do S&C, a person from golf, a person from basketball or rugby. And, and it's, it's your ability to appreciate every player or athlete in their own entity, in their own right, their needs analysis of what they need to, um, to do in their sport. And then also for them, how do they move? You know, how how what's their mobility like? Their stability like? You know, sports specific action that you, you might know. Like, how, how do they perform that? Give us some videos, whatever it is. And I think it's appreciating every individual for 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 what they are. And so I think that even though I it wasn't in football, it was still a great transfer for me when I went into football because I'm working with under 14s that some are a Q1 early maturated uh early maturated player another player might be a q4 late maturer i'm working with a four-year age gap age gap potentially there and so i can't just 
blanket everybody. I need progressions, regressions. I need to make things specific to the individual. And so that's, I think, what 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 uh, that role bought me, um, and helped me, yeah, and and kind of set me up really for 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 what I do in football, even though it wasn't necessarily all in football. Mm-hmm. And just to give people a bit of context who haven't been who haven't gone through UKS, yeah, you pick a spot out of the hat in your assessment. So yes. it could be basketball. Sorry. Yes. No, that's all right. It could be basketball, football, whatever it is. But I think people. And this is going off topic now. We'll, we'll drag it back in a second. But people get freaked out if they do pick out a spot they've never worked in. But actually, you're pretty much doing the same thing in your assessment. It's just with a little few few little tweaks in your uh, in UKSS, UKSS assessment. And I don't think anyone's ever picked out disability rugby or whatever the. I don't think anyone's ever picked that out. But it is an option. Um, not quite sure. That's. Uh, I don't know if it is common knowledge, but maybe oh, it is now. I'm not sure. I, I, I genuinely I don't it, think yeah. anyone's ever picked the, that one out. But no. Anyway, anyway. But dragging it back to, to your work at, at Spurs, and this is one thing we chatted about a little bit in the Mastermind, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper. And that's and it actually came in for a couple of questions because we asked for questions beforehand. And it was the training focus variation through the age groups and how you structure things and potentially about the inclusion of, of play and multi-sports and how that runs through or doesn't run through as a thread across the age groups. And just to get a bit of an overview of what that kind of big picture looks like for you at Spurs. Okay. Um, I guess the, the way I've always seen it is it depends what the end goal is. So um, depending on where they are in the in the academy space, is kind of the focus that you're working on and I guess the the closer you get to the adult game um, the academy manager's view of what they want to see players be able to do and what uh, is is the ultimate goal and then so we then must make models that kind of regress from that and so our model is a, a lighthouse model and I know it's a bit of a cliche but it's something that everybody can understand uh, it used to be a house but a fanic thought it was a little bit too rigid in a in a multi-directional sport and I'll explain this uh bear with me and um <laughs> and uh so I thought well if I'm going to present to players I'm going to present to parents I'm going to present to coaches or whatever it is and we're going to be doing things in the gym such as mobility work stability work uh yeah movement development sessions and and, and all that kind of thing I, I need people to be able to look at it and, and bring context to it and so if you're a nine-year-old, you can understand this this kind of model, and it's it's basically it's, it's physical assets of what you see above the water, uh, built upon built upon solid, deep foundations in three three hundred sixty degrees. So, um, in, in my kind of cliche kind of analogy, it's uh, w- with the lighthouse, it has to be strong in all directions, be be robust, needs to be symmetrical. So, bringing in the work of like what Chris Bishop's doing at the moment and things is is fantastic. Like that that links in completely into our methodology. Uh, but also, um, it's uh, it, under the water, um, as I said a few times, mobility, stability. So we use FMS. I think we, we focus a lot throughout the um, throughout strength and power and everything that nor boards and for, uh, force frames and everything that kind of gives you is, is, is a lot of it is about symmetry. And so why wouldn't our very low, slow kind of um, actions focus on symmetry as well and so that kind of underpins our model very much and so we i want to be able people to be able to do things slowly before we do kind of speed them up um 
And so that that is then kind of at the bottom. Then we kind of build through movement development. Um, and so that is that is a, a wide array of things. We, we, we use things through Carl Hallaby, who have, I've been unbelievably fortunate enough to have in my department now for a, for a year or so. Um, and he's uh he's brought in things like mace bells and and all sorts that we kind of we build circular strengths and movement development with regards to turkish get-ups and all that as well as well as a movement development that you kind of see on the on the pitch and how do people accelerate how do they decelerate how do they change direction can you then merge that into um actions that they do on the pitch etc um and then uh, and then we build all the kind of assets above that so um strength obviously underpins it as well and then speed agility power so that's our kind of our model and and our focus throughout the age groups kind of develops up the lighthouse as we go so that's our, our as our snc programs go um our, our primary focus is building those solid foundations and strength is part of that and I, obviously with research you know great research over the years that's been coming out on on strength should be a um should always be there well we use things like you say we play, like tug of war, uh, body body on body contact, being able to spin players and everything on on the pitch. Um, we 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 use things kind of functional strength, like but also through fun, like you say. Uh, that that's that's key for us that we get people get people smiling and with the younger lads we see their teeth uh, in 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 sessions and I guess. In the older age groups, we kind of get them to see their teeth in a different way, in a more of a comp- competitive way, and wanting to beat each other. and And I guess a lot of it is isn't very scientific, and it's kind of the un- the the kind of art side of player development that we that we that we kind of focus on as well, and um and and that kind of gets our outcomes. But uh, I guess obviously it changes with when lads are going through their peak high velocity. Um, the program doesn't necessarily change. the The emphasis may change based on the individuals, as I mentioned earlier with the the Q one and Q four example. But we have to respect that. Uh, but I'm a big believer that uh, everybody benefits from a squat pattern. Everybody benefits from a lunge pattern. Everyone benefits from anti rotation. Everyone benefits from hip hinging. You know, so I think there's a lot of uh, exercises and, and themes that you can you can apply throughout the week. Uh, regardless of of what age players are and whether they're going through their peak height velocity, etc., uh, just yeah, it's, it's it's a that's kind of how our themes kind of progress throughout the uh, throughout the age groups it, or where the focus changes. Um, so everybody from fourteen, so fourteen's uh, the fir- well thirteen, sorry, the first ones that come in the gym, um, and we've kind of got a bit of a saying where we develop from the inside out. So I want players to be able to contract their inner core the right way. And I want them to be able to hold isometric patterns before we then kind of build movement and everything on top of it. And so kind of developing, as I mentioned, yeah, from the inside to out. And so that a lot of it really is about being able to manage their body weight. Um, so you think about strength and everybody thinks about barbells and lifting weights. And strength for a 13-year-old is is push-ups, is TRX rows, is really single leg squatting it is you know that's strength um and so we want players to be able to develop in a a, quite a generic way but then also have individual programs that can hit the bullseye for for what where they are in their development so um sorry i'm going on a little bit here but it's all right it's all right i'm I'm, I'm gonna jump in matt yeah go for it and i think just from my experience 
going through the system as well, not a system as as um, developed as Spurs, but uh, a similar academy system as a as a player, and then then afterwards as a coach. I think one thing that I really liked, and this was someone that six foot four ish was always expected to be the dominant one because of just general size. But that wasn't ever something that was initi- that was actually initiated within practice. And that's something that I really struggled with, with bridging the gap between expectations of, as a larger, taller player and actually being able to utilise that on the pitch. And that, that body-to-body contact, that then one-on-one duels, was always something that I thought was lacking from, again, from player perspective and, and coach perspective as well. And I think on reflection... I probably should have looked inwards and saw of my experience, and and then um, offered that as you know as part of a practice. Is that something that you do often? Is there any examples that you can give us where you would integrate something like that to try to mitigate someone like me who is big but doesn't actually isn't able to actually use that on the pitch? I think a lot of it just comes down to the the experience and skill of the, the multidisciplinary team around the player. Um, like I say, I, I don't think you can blanket everybody with the same program. Mm. And so I think when you have the, your individual time, whether it be on the pitch or in the gym, it's important that we work on the things that you've just said. And so um, if we, we've identified that with you or without you, that this is what you need, then of course you, you need individual time to uh, to work on that. But then... We, we do practices with the older age groups where if we know that somebody needs that, doesn't like contact, doesn't like being sat into if you're a centre-back and doesn't like a number nine and you don't know how to deal with it, well, we'll games start with the ball being thrown in on that exact scenario to that player. And so little things like that in small-sided games and everything that you can kind of get little um, nuances within training that without saying, right, everybody, this is now individual time. <laughs> yeah. The, the clock starts 10 minutes, you know, it's without actually doing that, you, you can manipulate practices to kind of get those kind of outcomes. Um, and it's similar in the gym. We, we have our, of course, we have our group programming, but then we have our individual cards as well. So we have our individual programming. And, and if we've identified, um, at, like I say, as an MDT, that this is what this player needs, then we might do something in the gym that might, work on that, that that one thing but also get the outcome that they might need and so um so we, we've had examples of that in the past and so uh we, we've got, actually got older players that you know for that exact exact reason don't they don't like contact as much as other people so well as their their individual program and they might have side plank wrestling they might have something that brings a bit of aggression and a bit of you know contact to them get people get used to um to that um and, and so i f- i think it is it's very much down to down to the people around you i think to uh, all identify it but then also collectively implement something i think what we've got to be careful is obviously all, what we learn about is strength and conditioning the sports science and how it links into football but players are at our training center because they love kicking a football and they're very good at it and so when a lad goes into the gym or when a lad does anything in in an environment that doesn't involve boots on or on grass you, you got you got you're a salesman you got you got to tell them why they're doing something and so 
as an example, instead of doing a functional trainer, anti-rotation, isometric, uh, athletic stance hold, just call it Zidane strength. You know, where you, you, you give them the, the example, you show them what their, um, what, what their exercise is, but give it a name that they can relate to. Zidane strength. Well, everybody in the club through language, through football language, knows that that is where we, we're strong when we're twist, twisting and turning players. Well, if we can make, um, you know, the, bring the, the pitch inside, then it's win-win because not only does the player do it, he understands why he's doing it and he's probably going to buy into it better crank the weight up and do it with a little bit more intensity in his mind as well as with his body. How good was he, by the way? Oh, it was a joke, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> I watch it. He's one of the few people I actually go on YouTube just over and over again, just watch. It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Unbelievable. Ridiculous. So we talked about the managing periods of, of rapid growth and the, you mentioned that the, the program doesn't change too much. Is there any, maybe some examples that you could give that um, around the information that you're collecting, which would lead you to at least think about potentially altering things and why you may go about doing that, potentially who else is involved in them decision, that decision-making um, and how that really fits around those key growth areas, key growth times. Okay, yeah. So we, we do uh, Camus Roach. Uh, we do it three times a season in line with when the Premier League come in. Uh, anybody that's significantly... Um, growing, we, we typically go as a, an arbitrary one centimeter and a and above um, per month as an average. Then then we we, we flag them up. Um, we don't necessarily flag them up to the player. I, I'm I'm a bit of a believer where if I if I'm being told, oh you you might um or you, you know you're going through your growth phase now, you might not perform as well. Uh, you might get injured, and I, I'm I'm thinking as a player, well I just like playing football. I can't what what do I do? Not go to the part? What do I? And so I think we, we've got to be careful in the messages we give people. Uh, the parents, I guess, are a different different beast, but um, I think it's important that we, we're quite delicate around with this kind of information around the players as well. And so um, that yeah, that that's kind of on my take on that. With so if somebody is going through a rapid uh, phase of growth, then I might not necessarily just test like do a ductor squeeze and counter jumps or whatever your screenings are to that player, I might test the whole group. Test the whole group, but the one I'm really looking at is that one. I'm looking at that player. And then you might catch more fish than you actually think. And so something like um, something like that, I've, I've found to work really well. And so if I think a player's on the edge, or if I want to analyze whether a lad is coping with load as much as, as others, then we might do that. If, if he needs uh, to be checked over by a physio, then we might do it in a subtle way where the physio just kind of walks around the gym and um, and you know, speaks to a few players and how they're getting on, and then gets to the player that we're really targeting and how you feel. You know what I mean? And how mm -hmm. can you do it subtly? That the um, salesman, that, that, where you're the salesman, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're the salesman, and I think it's without kind of putting on the alarms. I just think it's uh, it is just information. It is just information that informs us that a player is going through that. If, however, a player starts to report that he's got a problem or he reports that he's, he's getting an issue or we may see with the coach that we know already he's going through his peak high velocity or going through a rapid phase of growth and, and he's possibly not moving as well. He doesn't seem as fluid as he normally does when he's on the pitch. Then that's the kind of angle as well that isn't, you can't really measure it. It's not scientific, but 
in a kind of a San Antonio Spurs way. It's it's kind of eyes, ears, numbers. And so I think if you get experienced people around the building, then you can kind of take that approach. Of course, the numbers will inform or back up what you see with your eyes and your ears. But ultimately, it, it, it's it's that kind of thing that you can't always quantify, you know, that, that whether a player is, is, is coping or not. And so that's then where we might edit a program. And I think if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have given you the scientific, I would have said, I'll reduce him by 10%. He'll be, um, yeah, and, and you know, I'll reduce his, his gym by X amount. I'll give you some sort of scientific answer. I think it's very individual. Um, and so we need to kind of keep that in mind. I think just because a lad is going through that and maybe he is having problems, we want to keep his boots on. His parent, and I guess I'm a parent now of, of two kids, and I can kind of sympathise really with the parents. That the, the sacrifices they make mm. is just it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Like some of the like it can take half an hour just to get from the M25 to our training <laughs> centre, and, and it's about 500 yards. And so it's the sacrifice they do is incredible. So that when they drop their kid off, of course they they want to be able to take the boots out of the bag and put the boots on and things like that. And so can they be a bounce player? Can they be can they be a server? Can they do things on the grass that that you know that um, that might that might get them out there? And I think if a player is off the pitch, then we we'll, we need to make sure that he he returns to his car with sweat on his shirt um, and have done stuff that he that he couldn't have done if he was at home. And so we need to make sure that it, almost like in a a graphic equaliser sense. I think I mentioned last last time that just because a lad is growing doesn't mean we should stop his development. And so if, if, if the physical fader needs to come down slightly, then well, we'll work on the kind of the foundations of that lighthouse. We'll work on mobility, stability, and all the kind of things that can, that, that, that can uh, affect his movement of when he, to kind of keep him moving well while he's, uh, uh, while he's out. Or if the physical fader's down, then the technical fader might go up. Well, let's have a foam ball. Let's kick it, you know, and let, let's do some, some technical work in, uh, outside or whatever in the dome or in the gym or whatever we can do or maybe he's doing something with the analyst and I think it's important that yeah just because a lad is uh, can't, is injured or can't do as much physically doesn't mean we should stop their development for six months and so that's the fine balance I think between um, between biological growth and and keeping players developing the whole time um, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of how how we kind of manage that. I think that's I think with peak height velocity, everybody views it as a oh injury, injury, injury. Everybody views it like that. So the way I've tried to view it in the last six or seven years is very well. What can we work on? So uh, what can you do culture? But also with individual programming, we we t- we have the simplest system, and the S and C purists, I guess, may may put the nose up at it a little bit but it's so simple it's silly where we'll have we know what what they need to work on so their performance profile whether it be from their power profile or their speed profile um are they need uh non-counter movement or starting strength work do they need eccentric tolerance do they need elasticity works or longer distance sprinting or whatever it is um do they they are they before their peak high velocity, are they circa or are they post? And then you get your nine buckets. And so lads just typically get a squat pattern, a hip pinch pattern, and a and a lunge pattern based on where, where they are in that, that kind of matrix. And so if they need starting strength work, 
um, and they're before their peak height velocity, where you're typically going to get neuromuscular gains, well, they're going to have some sort of non-counter movement plyo in a horizontal direction um, that, that that kind of overloads in the, with their squat pattern and then might overload, you know, the thing that they, they need work on in their biological growth. Because you, you're going to have people in the same session, like I say, that they've got a gap of four years in biological age. So we need to make sure we're hit, hitting the nail on the head with them, especially for at least a third or a half of the session. So somebody on the flip side that might need, uh, there might be after the peak height velocity, they might have, um, but they still need non-counter movement work. Then we might be working on more strength work. We might be getting the kettlebells out, dumbbells out, might be working on something still with a tempo of non-counter movement, but something that kind of gets those morphological changes that their body is, is ready to give. And so just by giving those simple kind of buckets in their programs, that's really helped our de- our kind of development. And it keep, kind of keeps our what can you do culture of those going through their peak high velocity. Well, we can still give them simple exercises they can do that kind of keeps their them progressing in their, in their own way um, and kind of keeps it specific for their, their, their phase of growth. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Matt, but don't worry, part two is just as good, where we dive into speed training for youth footballers, how that is integrated into the programme at Tottenham Hotspur, and how they deal with growth, more about how they deal with growth and maturation in the Tottenham Hotspur Academy. Anything that gets dialed up, anything that gets dialed down, there's loads and loads of interesting stuff coming up in part two. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Fusion Sport. Fusion Sport is a global leader in human performance solutions for elite sport, military and workplace health. Fusion Sport's data management and analytics platform Smarterbase is designed to provide elite human performance organizations with a one-stop shop solution for the holistic management of their teams. Highly configurable and capable of allowing the integration of other systems and wearables into its operations, Smarterbase enables organizations to capture, manage, analyze, report, and share data across the whole organization. When you adopt the Smarterbase human performance platform, you're choosing more than just a product, you're choosing a technology partner and a team of consultants who have worked with some of the world's most elite performance organizations. Smarterbase is trusted by the world's best in human performance including the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the LA Lakers, US Special Operations Command, Australian Institute of Sport and US Soccer. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash smarterbase to learn more about how Smarterbase can help turn your data into a winning advantage. And this episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. 
Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. And this episode is also sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports is a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid, and reliable athlete assessment. For the first time ever, you can assess metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics, and speed and agility, all with a single wearable sensor. Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organizations, performance centers, teams, and athletes to make data-driven decisions. The technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at Output Sports where you can schedule a demo. And now back to the interview with Matt. The emotional intelligence is something that I think is really interesting, especially with dealing with parents, because I think anyone coming out of university or wanting to get a job in a strength and conditioning, maybe a, a football academy, a lot of the time is their first port of call. And maybe they don't quite realize that you're going to have to deal with parents and that's not necessarily yeah. always an easy thing. I remember yeah. speaking to the academy manager where I worked and it was it was the bane of his life, dealing with parents' expectations, dealing with... I mean, I remember as a player, we used to get uh, Adidas boots. We used to get two pairs a season. I don't know if you guys, that your lads still get them. We used to have Adidas boots, but we only allowed to wear black boots. But the Adidas deal sent white boots. And we're on £45 a week at this point. So there's a big meeting because parents are kicking off. They should be allowed to wear these white boots because they're free. Otherwise, these lads on 45 quid a week and have to buy some £100 boots. So this, like, this, these are the kind of things that they had to deal with that you're not going to learn at university. Yeah. You're not going to learn anywhere. You're just going to have to have that them personalities, them decent characteristics as a, as a person to be able to deal with all these things that are just bolt-ons yeah. to what you've got going in the gym. And I guess that's the same with you guys. Like, There's so much more than just what goes on in the gym, what goes on the field that is encompassed in the type of role that you have. Yeah. I, th- I think transparency is massive. Mm. And as I mentioned before, the, the commitment these parents have, and of course they've they've dedicated their whole life to this kid's development and we and we see them three times a week four times a week or whatever and and I think it's right that we give back to them our transparency our, you know what what are they doing when they go in the gym what come and watch this session over here you know and I think obviously with covid it stopped it a little bit of course but obviously speaking away from covid in non-covid times which is hard to think of at the mm-hmm. moment but I think it's it's important that you do spend time in those um, kind of uh, un- informal um, one-to-ones in mm-hmm. the car park and you know like purposely instead of taking the route to the your office or whatever through the building take the route through the car park and, and say hi to people and, and, and stop by and I think it's little things like that that, that mean a lot and they you know especially in London I mean they, they can take a long, long time to get to this training centre and a long, long time to get home. And so I think it's only right that um, we, you know, we, we do things like that, that that then means a lot to parents. And some that they are just in a crowd. They're in a crowd of parents. And so everybody likes feeling special. And I think that's that 
even even if you don't agree with giving individualized programs to younger players or whatever, everybody likes to feel special. Everyone likes their little bit of individual time that right. I've seen you doing this, and I want to work on this. And I think I think. What do you think? Is this good with you? And you know, and little things like that. That it means a lot. And uh, whether you're a player, a parent, or a staff member, um, that time of uh, somebody in, uh, investing their time. F- you know, to you, I think is huge. And so your, your representation there of the, the white boots and black boots and everything is, is, is probably just a bit more bigger than, than that. It's, I think it's just uh, uh, everybody kind of wanting um, a little bit of time that, that they can discuss things. You know what I mean? I, I think it's like we've got a, I, I designed a, a program video a few years ago and I thought, well, that, that's because I heard I, I was going to have a parent's uh, presentation or workshop later uh, later in the month so I made a program video just so I could show it on there and just say right these are the kind of things your lad's doing when, you, when you're in the gym when you can't see him we're working on this this links to this you know because naturally if you're dropping your 13 year old off to training and you're a parent you think he's going in the gym three times a week or whatever you know like what, what are they doing to him well you know th- this is how it links to football this is what we do it's not about getting your lad bigger or whatever it is it's it's, it's about bringing these qualities and this is how it, this is quite generic, but then eventually this is how that links to football. And this is what you lad. And can you, and if it's on a, on an individual front, uh, on a one-to-one meeting, it's like, can you remember when he ran past that player last week and all, well, this is what we've been working on the gym and this is his program. And I think it's, I know it's like you say, the bane of people's life it can be, but it's, it. um, I think bringing context and being transparent with parents is is massive, and it's uh, it, it it's them as well that are going to decide whether they keep bringing their kid. So we, Perfect. you know, that so that that's the important thing. And like you say, that the, the limited time that the the boys are at, at with you, the rest of the time, a lot of the time, they're going to be with the parents. So exactly, you know, the happy parent um, makes things life a whole lot easier for everyone involved, whether it be you guys or the the boy is, uh, himself. Exactly. Yeah, it makes life so much easier. I'd like to dive for the next little while into the training of speed. And this came up in the mastermind as well. And I think we can we can go a little bit deeper because I think we've got a little bit more time. But I'd like to get your general thoughts on developing speed in a in a youth envi- in a in a, a youth setting and where it go where it goes in terms of a, a like a, a weekly cycle. Um how you measure progress, um, how you individualize things. Is it involved in warm-ups? Is it dedicated sessions? There's so much to go into. But in terms of developing speed in a youth setting, what's your overall overall thoughts? Uh, yeah, so I try and link all sessions together. So as I kind of covered, I guess I only had about a minute or so to... To, to say on on the last one, you but did I, guess, I think. I think I gave uh, you sixty seconds. Yeah, I was sorry, I was mate. Very succinct. <laughs> but yeah, as as I've proven so far, I'll, I'll waffle on this one a little bit. <laughs> but um, um, I think the biggest thing for me is that all sessions link, and so if a player is going to be sprinting twenty meters, I want to know that on every step of that way, we've absolutely nailed it, and he is he'll be able to perform it um, with with perfect technique and everything. Oh, perfect technique. That's a very broad term, but um, you know, we, with optimal technique for that person and 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 uh, the speed that you can do it at, and but also to to make them as robust as possible. So when I say all, all sessions link, so say our theme on the pitch 
for argument's sake, it's te- say 10 meter speed, um, which is early in our cycle. So we, we have two cycles going from July to Christmas and then reset from January to May. Uh, so two cycles in the season. And um, to build that, uh, we have, so in power sessions, if our power sessions are, so, sorry, if speed on the pitch is 10 meters, in our power sessions will be non-counter movement theme. So essentially when you're sprinting 10 meters, typically you're going to be um, going from nothing to everything. You're going to be going from a, a dead start. Um, I know, of course, there's loads of scenarios where you won't be, but for, for argument's sake, you need starting strength to be able to go over 10 meters quickly. So uh, from power, yeah, we do that. In strength sessions, we'll have a tempo that, that matches the same thing with having a couple of seconds on the amortization phase at the bottom before you explode up and, and, um, and lift it as fast as you can. Uh, we'll have in our movement development sessions, it will be about acceleration, uh, whether that be on the wall, whether that be with harnesses, whether that be with bungees, uh, things over shorter distances and everything uh, such like for that. In our, If we had F- FMS sessions, uh, obviously they get their individual programs, but also in group uh, sessions, we'll, we'll make things specific uh, for, for, for that distance. And so the qualities that they'll need. And so we link everything together. So then when we go out on the pitch, I know that every step of that way, uh, we've prepared them for that. But then also it makes it really easy as I kind of going down the salesman route again, that when they're in a pa- when they're in a power session and this lad who loves football has got a med ball in his hand and he's in a half kneeling position about to throw the, uh, from a dead start, throw the med ball as hard as he can against the wall and jump as far as he can. He's thinking, oh, I can't wait to get outside. Well, actually, if we can then link something they're doing inside to, to what they're doing outside, then then that that's that's gold standard, I believe. So then obviously that links to, then to training speed when they're doing that 10 metres. And so with that 10 metres, ideally it's not um, everyone in lanes, you know what I mean? And it's, of course, competition helps. Um, but if we can include a football, fantastic. If we can include... Uh, training speed against a, um, a against somebody in a position or in a drill that you you typically do in a game. Now that's we're hitting the the money on uh, the nail on the head really with that one because we're then linking everything they do in the gym to what they do in an actual football practice within a training uh, within a a speed drill during training. So then going uh, up up the chain, we then kind of build build that really. So then so that's our. Uh, our, our first level essentially then we go on to uh, 10 to 20 meters where we'll then work on eccentric tolerance essentially within power sessions we might bring in flywheels we might bring in essentially a counter movement theme um, we can then in our movement development sessions change a little bit uh, we then work on reacting to things so we've got the technique of, of what they do when they're accelerating so then how can then we react to a stimulus um, and maintain that technique. So we want to ingrain good technique, uh, but then also when they're reacting to something, which is obviously part of the sport, uh, we need to make sure that they're prepared uh, for that, but also they, they maintain good technique when they're reacting. If they, their technique goes when they react to something, then we regress it slightly and we'll work on the, uh, the bits before a bit more. But um, so we're trying to link everything together really, because um, then for, for obvious reasons, what I just mentioned there, then you know that you've got a program that that's uh, that's that's all linked that a player can kind of buy into, um, and so yeah, so we we go through 
two cycles a season. Starts at under 14s, 15, 16, 17, 18. By the time they get through to under at the end of under 18s, they've done like nine, ten cycles of the uh, of it. And so, of course, we have exercises that progress, themes that we that that we may uh, focus more on throughout the time. Individual programs will progress as well. But the general themes of what we do, uh, we'll work on. We'll work on that. And so we 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 then make sure that whenever a lad is is sprinting over those twenty meters, that like I said, everything is nailed. Um, the one thing that we also need, need to then bring in is um, is is the research. And so um, we know in the game, uh, the the name has eluded me. I apologise if you're listening, but we know that. 60% of the time, I can't remember the exact stat, but 60% of the time centre-backs when they sprint, their shoulders will be facing a different direction to where their hips are. So we need to make sure that you know we bring that into our speed draw as well because it's not just about jelly jaw and hands to, you know, hands to pockets mm-hmm. and mouth and all, you know, we we of course we want to uh ingrain good technique, but we need to make it football as well. And so uh the the Art around designing those football drills with the coaches, I think, is really important when they're uh, when they're doing speed. One thing as well, I guess, that I've brought in recently. Um, this is going off track just a little bit. Is uh, we did an, um, a CPD series in house. So our, our CPD, as, as everybody knows, kind of took a bit of a dive recently with um, with COVID, and so the, the the money that we had available to to, to go out and go on lavish events and, and everything, and obviously got diminished and. Uh, different qualifications and stuff so we did our own in- in-house and so we had four rounds uh, everybody in my department is eight of us in total including the nutritionist um, did four rounds of presentations so we did like little TED talks and everybody did uh, two rounds on what we do and then two rounds on what we could do so it kind of got us uh, talking about things and how we can progress you know our department and practice but also uh, solidify what we do and so one of mine was um on the co- on coaching science and how can you get uh, certain outcomes by what you say and so i've i've been really fortunate enough to spend a bit of time with nick winkleman like 10 years ago or so i went to out to arizona uh, and people like that that kind of brought coaching science onto my radar and the little subtleties you can change in sessions can get certain outcomes uh, so of course bringing competition to things is one thing using external cues is another thing um, but also what I found recently, I did a little um, study during this presentation that I used in this presentation in my department of the, the difference between running towards something and running away from something. Okay. So if I'm sprinting after someone, I'm not as fast as if I'm sprinting away from someone. So if we can then, so if we can include things like that into our programming, then we're laughing because I know that somebody um, will typically sprint faster when he's running away from someone than if he's running towards. Of course, you need to have a um, synergistic kind of thing where one goes first and the other one follows. Mm. But it's little things like that if you can use a football as well. And then um, you know that you can get that extra 2% out of every sprint that they do. Um, our old academy manager used to have a brilliant saying. He used to say, if this is our, our, on our, our sprint testing, he used to stand at the end of the track every time, and uh, and it, oh, would um, would you have run faster if you had a lion chasing you? And everyone was like, <laughs> and everyone was like, what? And they're like, but well, would you run faster if you had a lion chasing you? They're like, well, well, I guess I guess I would. Yeah, I guess I would. And that that kind of stuck in my mind over the years. And I thought, well, actually, that, there's something in that. There's something in that. And I'm no, I'm not 
preaching as any speed coach by mechanism or any, any I'm not I'm not that but I understand the subtleties of coaching science and the little thing little changes you can put in your programs to get that extra two or three percent and it's it's little drill designs that 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 might be able to get a little bit more bang for your buck and uh, that's something that I found in an in-house study that I did recently um, that I thought was quite interesting in training speed. That that is interesting. I like that. I like that. I think the academy managers always throw in little things like that, don't they? Always interesting. Little, oh yeah, but that's little, that... just coming from a different perspective. Like yeah, yeah, little comment that gets people thinking. Yeah, definitely that hundred percent. And I think it's um, but it that's the beauty of working in, in an environment like we do and like like other people do in in other sports is um, we we're, we're here to of course uh, support. The coaching staff that is our you know we, we are here as a physical development department or a sports science department to bolt on to that coaching process and of course we want to influence it to make people physically more robust and quicker and stronger and fitter and, and then it links to their game model and everything must regress from there but essentially these are the people we need to listen to and their, their little way of viewing things in our in our little environment we're like oh what a great idea that is you know what i mean and it's it's just the way they view things from a different angle and we must respect that we must respect it and i think it's it's little things like that that um are are, a little little nuggets i guess that that people will say on 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 how you can change drill design to get a little bit more out of things just coming back on to the 10 to 20 on the zero to 10 you told us about you know exercises and, and focus that may be in strength sessions and maybe in power sessions in the 10 to 20 you mentioned eccentric tolerance and inclusion of flywheel is there any specifics that you can give us on what that strength session versus the power session looks like so people can compare it to the zero to ten yeah so uh in strength sessions they'll we won't have an uh, amortization phase at the bottom so it's literally down and up down up yep. down up or whatever the exercise is um, with regards to power sessions, so counter movement theme. So the way I've kind of viewed this 10 to 20 is generally speaking, the, the kind of average length that somebody will sprint in football is around 20 meters. So somewhere before that 20 meters or maybe just after it, they're going to, sh- they're going to shove the brakes on. So linking our power sessions with that, then that's that's then obviously where I'm coming from with regards to use of flywheels, so overloading that deceleration co- uh, component, um, or yeah, have, having some sort of eccentric utilization um, in the exercise that we do with counter movement and, and landing and progressions on that. So um, we have a big use of flywheels uh, when a lad is ready to do it. We progress exercises to do it, but I think they are unbelievable for developing um firstly buy-in because a lad when he does an exercise on there uh whether it be in a oh i can't i can't demo online can i Uh, (laughs) 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 but in some sort of split stance where they might decelerate then turn the hips out or something and then it will suck them back into that split stance turn the hips out of it so we can we can work with coaching staff to like what are the what are the movements that this person struggles with and we can hammer the hell out of it in our sessions. Um, of course, respecting recovery and everything around it and reps and sets and building tolerance and everything. But if our game model is to press, 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 well, at some point you've got to slow down and, so, and, and then change direction and press the, ne- the next guy or whatever it is. 
And so we need to make sure our, our methodology in the gym fits what they want on the pitch. Also, what we've found over the years, and this is no secret, so I, I don't mind saying it here, is with the um, what we've found is uh, it's come through our academy over the last 16 years of all the physical testing that we've done. And lads that are very agile are those that typically come through our system. And so why wouldn't we employ exercises or, or forms of modality that uh, can work on the ability for a lad to slow down and then go back the other way? And so, but the, the kind of force that you can get on some of our flywheels is, is phenomenal, really. Uh, we, uh, yeah, the, the company that we use, that I've done little in-house studies on my own, um, They've got force plates in the in the platform, and um, I've had a barbell on my back, eighty kilos, and I've done my, I've done eight or so squats. I've then put on the small wheel and 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 given it some as hard as I can, and seen what kind of force it, it gave on the computer in front of me. Then I put on the medium wheel, then I put on the heavy wheel, and nearly tore my quads off. And <laughs> um, and and the the for, the difference in force was phenomenal on, on what I was putting through the force plate. So. Firstly, of course, we've got to be careful. Uh, we, we need to make sure that lads are ready to, to do exercise like that, whether it just be with a very, very low resistance or technique-based. But when, when you can build strength and build tolerance to that, and we put, that, we put the lower weight in our power sessions, as I mentioned, then, that's, um, then you get great transfer there. Uh, one thing that we do have, uh, and we use it in every session, and this isn't necessarily Tottenham's methodology. This is just my view on building speed. Is we have a Prowler, um, the M4 tank. Uh, we've got a couple of those that we use. Uh, put it on level one, and on our power sessions, we have five meter speed. So we have our light gates, and we have a scoreboard at the end. Uh, uh, a digital scoreboard tells us how fast we went through the lights, and then we've got a marker board, uh, a leaderboard on a on a whiteboard, so then everybody can kind of keep score. Um, and so we, in every single power session throughout the entire season. We'll include, uh, we'll include that. We'll include prowler speed, and so lads will give it everything, of course, because they want to beat everybody. Um, so we'll have that in every power session. I, I believe um, that has a great transfer to the pitch as well. Um, when we actually look at speed development times um, in our performance testing that we do three times a season with the Premier League, uh, I'm a big believer that that sprinting is a skill. And so, or accelerating is a skill. And so we can put in as many generic exercises in the gym as we want to develop that skill, or we could just get in the sprinting to develop that skill. And so we can do that once a week. Well, that's a skill. We, you know, like we had the same in counter movement jumps. So counter movement jumps, um, the development in that height that somebody might get or the metrics that they get from force plates, but development in height that I saw over years and years We'd have lads come in jumping 40 and within six months of jumping 60, it's like, well, that's not necessarily a representation fully of their improvement in power. They just got better at jumping. Mm -hmm. And so well, why wouldn't I apply that to speed? And so well, if you want lads to get quicker, of course, train the lower, slower movements to nail that technique, the angles they put into the grounds. They need to sprint. They need to sprint, of course, in a football context if we can. Um, but yeah, sprinting is a skill. And so if we can do that, uh, in in our power sessions as well, then then brilliant, and we can transfer that onto the pitch quite easily. That transference from what goes on the gym to what goes on the on the pitch when when it comes to sprinting, 
Do you have the same model for, like you've mentioned, the 10 to 20, sorry, 10, uh, 0 to 10, 10 to 20? Do you have one for 20 to 30 or 20 plus? Uh, yeah, so 20 plus is typically just, in power sessions, is just elasticity. So we'll, okay. we'll, we'll progress through, yeah, continuous plyos and things like that. Uh, if somebody uh, needs elasticity, then of course, in their individual program, they'll, they will have a hit of that at the start of the session so when they're freshest they'll they'll work on what they need to work on um and so they, they'll have elasticity from the from the get-go on in july um so so essentially that we, with regards to strength uh that's where that then starts to lose its attachment to the all of the sessions okay um because obviously it's hard to to really truly build elasticity within if you're going to work on strength but essentially it's then no pausing at the top it's you know it's continuous say a trap bar deadlift let's say in the early phase of our speed model, they might just lift it and let go as a, a non-counter movement, um, concentric only lift. Uh, then with the, uh, the next phase, it might be then, you know, uh, standing up, start at the top, down and up, rest, down and up, you know, with the, with the trap bar deadlift. Um, and then it might just in the continuous phase, just go up, down, up, down, up, down. It might also bring in things like kettlebell swinging. Of course, there's overlap between the areas in eccentric um, tolerance and everything with with swinging, but I want p- players to be able to deadlift before they can swing. So that's where swinging can come in quite nicely in the back end of a model uh, when I know I've got technique nailed and you know and they can hip hinge well and everything before we bring in things like that. So it, in my mind that I'm quite a methodical person and 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 I like to link everything, but I also think it's 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 an easy sell for doing that. Uh, the subtleties around gym session design, of course, coming to that kind of coaching science, I'm really in, intrigued with or interested in. And the use of kind of push technology or, or velocity-based training is we use push uh, largely because we can just shove it on our on our forearm and we can do things like med ball throw-ins. So we can, you know, we can actually do football throw-ins. If a lad can throw the ball 40 meters, he can get a career out of that. He, he comes on <laughs> the pitch right. because, uh, because he can hurl the ball into the box in the last minute. And so we... You know, we can work on things like that and, and have a leaderboard for how quick they can do it. Kettlebell swinging. We can have leaderboards for peak velocity and relative to body weight and ways just to keep kind of the uh, competition high. But then I know if the competition's high, the intent's going to be good. And um, and then we get good transfer in whatever exercise we use. But um, yeah, that that doesn't really answer your question. But no, I'll, no. I'll give it a- no, it's great. <laughs> that, that section's been superb. I think that'll be really... Um, That'd be really informative for anyone working in this environment with these younger athletes. So that's perfect. One thing I wanted to finish off, and this was this was brought up by you, and we were having the conversation beforehand. <clears throat> I'd mentioned about some, to finish off with some advice for younger coaches wanting to get into academy football. We've kind of touched on that from the first ten or fifteen minutes that start anyway. But one thing that you mentioned was this transfer from classroom to an applied setting, and that potential gap that is there do you want to explain how we can potentially be better at that to fill that gap and allow people that better transfer from from classroom to to applied setting yeah i think as i mentioned earlier i think i said it earlier with regards to um i think it's a difference between then being a sports scientist and being a player developer especially in academy football um it is bringing the art into what we do and so when I first got to the club, uh, John McDermott, the academy manager, said, I want you to uh, design a presentation or, uh, with your methodology on it. He said, I want to know how you link the classroom to the coalface. 
And I thought, oh God, what, like, how do I do that? And so I, I kind of, it got me thinking, this is like 10 years ago. I thought it's a great saying, actually, in, in, in reflection, where it is the transference of it. And so the examples that I've, I've used over time of, you know, that the, the classroom might say, right, to, to prevent a hamstring injury, you need to do this, followed by this, followed by this, followed by this. But in reality, uh, the player can't, uh, I don't know, that there might be a restriction on the pitches are frozen and he's got education at that time and he's uh, he can't do this in the gym because he's had this issue in the past. And there's so many different aspects that when you're in the cold face, you have to apply the science in a different way. But then um, I think from that then kind of got me, that, that was kind of step one really. And then it, over the years I've thought, well, I need to make sure that whatever scientific interventions I do, it complements the development of the player. And so give you an example. If a player goes out on a Saturday night, uh, this is obviously 18 plus. Of course. If a lad goes out on a Saturday night, um, gets in late, drunk, whatever it is, didn't eat food, uh, didn't, didn't eat good food, didn't hydrate, woke up, poor sleep, uh, woke up the next day, didn't rehydrate, comes into the training centre on Monday, so two days after, um, high doms, on his well-being, terrible sleep, quality awful, hours three, um, and, and all that. It what, What's your mood like? Terrible. You know what I mean? It's like eight out of ten or whatever the, the number's given. And so what what do we do? We we edit the program to keep him fit. So this player doesn't learn. The player doesn't actually learn because he doesn't actually recognise um, that uh, that going out on a Saturday night and living like that after a game, if you played a game on Saturday, come come coming in on a, on a Monday after doing that, if he always stays fit or he never has any sort of consequence from it, then are we doing a good job? I guess I, on my stats I am because I, they're all fit and everything. But I'm not saying we purposely injure players, but it's the subtleties around it of we need to be aware of, okay, right, whose birthday is it this weekend? And th- like listen out for conversation. <laughs> Isaiah's numbers, Isaiah's numbers, you know. And it's little things like that, that that are key. And so if you think back to the cl- kind of class of 93 and they, at, at the cliff, they w- you know, they would have kind of unknowingly pushed the boundaries of sports science in their everyday practice. But the program's a program. And so you need to prepare your body for that program. And so I think that the, the kind of simplicity of that is beautiful where players... They, they get a consequence from not living right. They get a consequence from not sleeping right. They, you know, they, they end up with an issue that they learn from. And so this kind of then built me into the thought of, well, a lad, do, do we need to have events or a teachable moment, as they call it in the kind of medical industry? So I did a little bit of research on this. And they found this in like uh, emergency medicine and, and everything that, that people change their ways or change their, their behavior uh, or, or change their their habits based on a critical moment or, or an event, and, and as it's called, a kind of a teachable moment. And so we can say, oh, you can't, you can't be late for meetings. If you do that on loan, you're out. You're not going to play. If or if you live like that, you're going to get injured. Or and yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 you can have as many player reviews as you want. And I think it's it's a, the the fine details around that that truly bring in the player developer kind of angle on it and so I keep a diary um, 
it essentially merges all of the objective things that we get on each player and all of the kind of eyes and ears and the subjective things that we see on a player. The player might, I oh, stretch his hamstring. Like at the end of the day, I've got my, on a PowerPoint, everybody's got a cell, uh, all players, you know, and everyone's got a cell for each day. So, okay, right. So uh, this player saw him stretch his hamstring. Uh, this player heard it's his birthday this weekend. This player, his counter movement jumps down. His squeeze is okay. Um, but I heard him talk to his mate the other day about his groins. Um, and then we do this, like, if, if I've got nothing significant to write for somebody, I don't write anything. But over the course of time, merging this kind of diary, it, it becomes unbelievably powerful. And so we, we're getting all that. We've got GPS, we've got all these, all these objective numbers, but nothing really means much unless you merge it. And so we can contextualize GPS as much as we want. Um, but yeah, essentially it's, it's with the other sides that, that then it becomes really powerful of course from an injury prevention standpoint but also from a player developer standpoint we're waiting for these events we're waiting for these um, teachable moments where a player might have left uh, didn't bring his water bottle out to training uh one day and then uh he, he did the same thing every day that week and then the following week he gets a hamstring injury right i've got it mm-hmm. teachable moment and so, right, so, okay, right, this, this is your log from last week. You, know, you didn't bring this out. You got high osmo on that day. This is, you know, and you're kind of looking for patterns in behavior. And then as soon as something happens that you feel that you can influence that player with and they have that teachable moment is when, boom, you, you've got it. You've got it ready. And then that's how they can then learn and change. Um, I think that, that that's, to me, is, is really, really, really powerful. And what I've found over the years, unbelievably links to the, the the overwhelming majority of, of injuries that I've found. But then also on a positive side, so if you look at um, the things that a lad might come into the gym earlier one day, he then might be, his application in a power session might have been brilliant. He, uh, I don't know, his effort on something might be, might be great. And then at the weekend, he burns past a player or he knocks someone out the way. And it's like, right, that's my teachable moment. That's my moment I can link everything together. So I get some clips together get the gym videos that we've got, you know, th- what you've just done there, that's in your program. We've, we've just done that. Look, this is you working in the gym. This is you working uh, so hard in, this is you coming in earlier on that day. Can you remember you coming early on that day? Well, all of that is a compound effect and that is equal to you doing this. And so that's how we then really got them. Of course, we then, you, you're kind of reinforcing good habits and then you're you, you, um, kind of riding on that wave to, to truly change their, their behavior and their um, their habits. And so I think that as a, I've probably pinballed around four or five different examples there, but I think it is in these subtleties that can really bring sports science to life. And of course, like I mentioned, we need to bring scientific rigor everything and everything that we do. But sometimes the science are the things that you can't make numbers of. And so that is, is an important thing. And then obviously, as you mentioned, emotional intelligence is like, right, well, when is the time I tell this person? I need to hit him at the right time when he's going to be open and not put the shutters down on me to really look at me in the eyes and kind of and, and learn from things. And so if it's a bad thing, then you, you might need to bring in a bit of emotional intelligence. If it's a good thing, everyone loves hearing good things. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think that's, um, that was kind of down the lines of, of, of something that I mentioned to you before. Um, it's it's only the workings in my head, and I'm sure somebody's got a, an, a different opinion that would um, that would go against it. But at the same time, 
that's what I've found. I've found over the last, I've been doing that now for five or six years and, and I've found it to be unbelievably powerful yet completely free. So if I'm at Tottenham or Thurrock or wherever I am, <laughs> no disrespect at all. It's just because the only place I could think of with a T <laughs> is, uh, uh, um, I can do that. I can do that. I can keep a diary. I can like, I can keep a log of when a person stretches his hamstring or stretches his calves or come into the gym a little bit earlier or, you know, you, you know that you went out on a night out that day there. And so is it a moment that you can you can learn from? Of course, uh, one thing, one caveat that I would put to that is academy is different than the first team. The first team, of course, all the research and everything that's gone on over the last decade, 15 years, is if players are available, you typically can perform better and you end up with better, better results. Of course, the, the thing is about player availability. So I can keep a player available, great. But in... in academy development in in youth development maybe we need to uh we need to we need to hold off a little bit hold off on messages hold off on on pulling them a little bit and and let things pan out find out get let them make their own mistakes be autonomous in what they do and then we are then supportive at the end to then be the critical friend and go through it with them and so i think the beauty of our environment is then well how can we then this is the next layer how can we then create those pre-events how can we create it? So, of course, we don't want players to fail. If lads are going up to Pochettino, well, we need to create a pre-event for them. We need to get them accustomed to something before it happens. So that might be something really simple by the way we train, the intensity that we train at. Um, it might be the structure of our drills. It might be, uh, I don't know, something, a drill that they've done uh, in, in the week before. It might be the, the manner of our coach. Does he... Um, you know, does he give similar messages? If we know a lad is going to go out to on loan with a with a manager that's pretty strict or whatever you want to call it, or, or harsh, or um, then maybe we need, we need to edge that player into that kind of environment where the way we speak to him, the way we set up his his sessions, the way we give him feedback during training, get him accustomed, give him a pre-event before he experiences it, because of course you only get one normally one first impression. And so that's the, the, I think that's the key in player development is can you create these pre-events? And I guess every environment's different, but I've found that really interesting. And that's something that I've kind of been looking at unscientifically, I guess, over the last five or six years. And, uh, and, and changing, changing behavior is, yeah, is, is certainly dictated by these teachable moments that we should all kind of wait for and prepare for. Mate, that is absolutely class. We've, we've gone through loads from, Train focus, variation, speed, growth and maturation, a little bit at the end for advice for people, classroom to call face, absolutely class. So thank you for giving up your uh, some of your Friday afternoon. But if anyone wants to jump into a conversation, DM you somewhere, where's the best place for people to uh, to get in contact? Uh, through Twitter is fine. Um, oh, no. Uh, Matt Allen's <laughs> Sports Science, SPSCI, I believe. Nice. Is a is, is that's my handle um, or LinkedIn or something is fine. Uh, I can't promise I'll get back to everyone. I'm really sorry. I'm I'm not the best at it, but I will get. I will have batches where I'll then just fly through loads of messages. So if it takes me a while, um, please bear with me on that one. Absolutely, I'm sure that won't be a problem. But thank you very much, mate. Have a fantastic weekend, and thank you for coming on and giving up an hour and a quarter, another hour and a quarter of your time. In, uh, in addition to you, to your mastermind, which people can check out and have a little look with Matt, Jack Ed from Liverpool and uh, Perry Stewart from Arsenal. But Matt, really appreciate your time. Speak soon. Thanks, pal. Uh, thanks, Rob. Bye, mate. 
thanks for tuning in to episode 354 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So big thanks to Matt for giving up his time. I managed to catch him just in the off-season, just when he was uh, having a little bit of downtime. So I really appreciate him jumping on and uh, making time for me uh, on this podcast. Also, big thanks to today's sponsors. I could not run this podcast without these guys. So I really, really do appreciate their constant support. So we've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from the world of sports performance from the US, from the UK, from Europe, and touching on lots of different sports and lots of different topics as well. So thanks again for your support, and I will chat to you next week. Thank you.